This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society, and we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. June Slater, it is wonderful to have you with us today. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. The invitation, it's very kind of you. No, not at all. It's always good talking to people. Actually, the fun part is talking to people who you don't really know and you see online, you see on TV. And of course, people can follow you at June Slater 17 is your Twitter handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly you popped up on, on my feed a lot. Um, I, I, uh, maybe for the viewers, certainly for our US viewers uh, who may not have come across you, uh, June, um, you're UK based, obviously, and being on GB News, it may not cross over the pawn state side. Do you want to just give us a minute, just your background or how you've got to where you are? And then we'll get on to the topic, which is can we ever trust our institutions again? But tell us a little bit about yourself first. Okay, I'm a retired businesswoman. And my only intention was after retirement, when I was about 47, was to fill my house with rescue dogs and just have a nice time running a second home in Austria traveling there with the dogs. That was it. I knew nothing about politics, never took any notice of it. it didn't affect my business life. I just got on with what I, I wanted to do. And then we got uh, attacked a couple of times at the Channel Tunnel with migrants. When I say attacked, not directly. They were trying to break into trucks and we ended up in a in a wrong queue in our rather low-slung Mercedes CLS, which seemed to be dwarfed by these huge trucks. And a guy jumped off the back and came towards the car. And I, I was mesmerised for a minute. It was huge. Um, and he had something that looked like a crowbar in his hand trying to get in the truck. But it didn't work. He was angry and we were next in line. And I just said to Dave, Jesus Christ, get up the hard shoulder, just go. And as he came towards the car, I had a particularly noisy dog. Um, I had four little dogs in the back, Westies, but one sounded bigger. And they were blacked out windows, so he couldn't see them. So I let the window down a little bit, and my dogs kicked off. And he backed away, but as he approached the car, he, he went up to my passenger window, and he went, hey, blondie, is he that? So we drove off up the hard shoulder, which you're not supposed to do, got ourselves together, and I wanted who the hell it was. And he said, who do you think it is? And I had no idea about the migrant crisis. Hold my hand up. My husband was pretty well-versed on what was going on in the world. I was naive completely. Uh, Then another time... How how long ago was that? 2015. Okay. Um, Then... um, we were travelling on Christmas Day and we did the crossing when we got out the other end at Calais. Uh, the whole of the six lanes of motorway was cordoned off. We just drove out, sat in a queue, and it was on fire with a barricade that the migrants had made with tyres and wood and whatever they could find. There was at least, I think, about 80 police vans, riot police. It was terrifying. So, again, I just thought, we've got to get out of this. We're sitting ducks because these maggots were kind of spreading out and throwing rocks. And So we went, uh, we used an entry road for an exit and we just got off the motorway the wrong way and went on the back lanes. I was that nervous. I couldn't fathom me sat-nav out to 
avoid motorways. It kept taking me back to the motorway. And obviously, we were very nervous about coming across them again. So we drove for about 60 miles without stopping to make sure we're out of the way. And that's when I started taking it seriously because I thought, this is peacetime. I'm, I'm in Europe. I'm just going from my home to my holiday home in the Alps in Austria. I'm going to ski in winter and swim in summer. What the hell's going on? So I started investigating it. Um, lamely at first, then I got more stuck in and more stuck in. And as I'd always said to my husband, don't involve me in politics because I am like a dog with a bone. I won't let go. So I got more stuck in and I realised that this was a deliberate uh, attempt to disrupt Europe. And it sounded a bit far-fetched. I was in denial when I first found out. And I even came off Facebook for a couple of days. I couldn't handle it. And then I thought people should know because there were more people like me than like my husband who knew what was going on. He wasn't politically active. He just knew what was going on. He knew something was wrong. So um, I started telling my friends on Facebook. I have about 1,000 friends on Facebook from real-life events working for me or friends from school. And I started telling them and I started finding out more about it. And then I decided to, I thought Brexit was a good idea to get away from the EU legislation that was allowing them in because the only thing the EU legislation has ever done has been a gateway for cheap labour. Um, it's not free movement of people, it's free movement of cheap labour for Tory backers. Having always voted Conservative, that probably sounds a, a bit odd, but anyway. Um so I joined Vote Leave as a volunteer and went out at the weekends and I could see that this business of campaigning with leaflets was a bloody old hat. It wasn't moving with the times. And I thought, I'm quite a good communicator. I used to have a driving school with a high pass rate because I could communicate information well. And I'm quite good at t putting complex stuff into simple terms. So I thought, I'll, I'll have a go. I'll have a go. Because it seemed to me the political bubble deliberately spoke their own language to keep ordinary people out. So I started explaining what Brexit was really about. It wasn't about the pet passport. It wasn't about the e-hicks card. It was not about easy travel. It was certainly not about free movement of people. It was about creating an entity to get everybody roped into it until they were linked like the United States and couldn't get out of it. And then they would come down with the tyrannical version of events because as you know the eu is autocratic not democratic it's anti-democratic it's not just not democratic it's anti-democratic um because they're creating laws all the time their mps i don't know if your american viewers realize their mps are told how to vote they do not get a free vote they're given a list votes going every day they create it a bit like the roman empire describing something out every day to you know there's legislation to follow all the time where democratic societies are generally run with a, a list of basic requirements, don't murder people, don't rob, don't rape, don't do this and get on with your life. Sadly, we seem to be following suit, even though we have voted for Brexit. So I, start, I turned my page over to public, which scared me to death. And I got quite a lot of abuse. And I was going to pack up because David said, we don't need this in our life, which we didn't. And something, I don't know, Something drove me on because I could see millions of people wanted to know what Brexit was about. So I organised, people kept messaging me, new people I didn't even know. June, what does it mean? Because I don't think this EU is any good. So we'd have meetings. I'd say, right, well, you know, little factory workers on the lunch hour, 
or uh, hairdressers, people with you know in an engineering shed. So they'd have the sandwiches, get a computer, and we'd have a meeting at like twelve o'clock, half past twelve. So I had little groups of people where I told them what Brexit was really about. And these were people that weren't even going to vote at all in the referendum. And I'm quite proud to say I think I probably encouraged, I thought it was about 5,000, but I think it's more like 15,000 people to vote to Brexit. And that was just, I'd only just started. I only had 4,000 followers. Um, I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't intend to get a load of followers. I've never asked anybody to follow me. I've never made any money out of it. I've never took a penny off anyone. Twitter give you a bit of money now, 38 quid I've had, so I haven't died off Twitter, I can assure you. Um, I didn't even touch Twitter because it scared me to death. It like a bloody bear pit. So I didn't start Twitter properly till last July. Uh, not this July, just gone the one before. Um because it just looked like a lot of aggressive people with avatars and no sodding names having a go at each other. I thought, I can do without that. Um, anyway, I, I just retweeted other people's stuff from 2019. Um, and then I thought, sod it. I didn't know whether my style of blogging would go down very well with my little short videos that I do two minutes here and three minutes there. So I did a couple of videos about issues. And they were getting 300,000 views, one had 900,000 views, another had a million. So all of a sudden, I looked around on Twitter and I'd gone from 6,000 followers to 19,000 followers to 22,000 to 36,000. And it grew and grew quite quickly in 12 months. I'm at about 120, I think, now. Uh, Bear in mind, I'm not a celebrity. I haven't you know, been a former dancer or a football player. Uh, I'm just a mush that sees the world is going to hell in a handcart. And if we, the people, don't do something about it, we won't get a choice in it soon. Currently, we have a choice, and that's why I keep going. So that's my background into this. I'm a, basically a fun-loving person who only joined social media to, to run a fun group with jokes on. <laughs> and don't know where that ended up. So um, here I am. Now you've become an online voice of reason and RGB news, all of that. It's interesting because I knocked on so many doors, did all of that um, with UKIP and with Vote Leave. Uh, and immigration, obviously, this is a, a massive failing in our in our parliament, um, which is one institution which I think I traditionally believed in, accepted, and now uh, many of us are the opposite opinion. But not only immigration, but the... The, the COVID tyranny is what has woken a lot of people up to what is happening in Parliament in Westminster. Uh, we've just had the, well, we have the public inquiry, um, which seems to be the biggest waste of time. But what, what are you, because immigration, but then you've obviously seen, lived, spoken about the, the COVID tyranny, and there's no apology, there's no parliamentarian saying we we got it wrong oops it's just same old same old um there's one politician uh, normally the british parliament has a government and an opposition party that's all part of the government it's the king's opposition the king's government we haven't had any opposition and that always struck me as odd how come a labor party is backing up a tory party easy it's easy to work it out they're not tories Anybody out there who's thinking of voting for the Tories to save them from Labour, you're dreaming, pal. You are absolutely dreaming. Oh, but Labour are worse. The Tory party have ended up in power <clears throat> in this country for 13 years on the back of a threat that Labour are worse. 
they're the same. <clears throat> it's the uni party. Nobody's offering anything any different. All roads lead to Rome, the WEF, the WEF. Let's not let's let's just cut the crap about the WEF as some spooky, sinister organization. It's not. It's just a basically glorified chamber of trade that's for the upper echelon in society. It's like your local chamber of trade, but for really big hitters. So politicians gravitate towards this set of comedians because if they ever lose the seat, and many of them will, um, they've somewhere to go. They've, they've rubbed shoulders with people and swapped business cards and, you know, like Chuka Mooney, he's ended up with a, a top-flight job because he went to the West. Sadiq Khan, that atrocious man, he hangs around there like a bad smell in a gent's toilet. Um, he's always there. Um, Boris wouldn't allow his ministers and MPs to go to the Davos conference. Strange bloke, Boris, very strange. Um, <clears throat> I think what we've got to look at is don't be afraid of them. The only difference between the WEF and you and me, they have more money. That's it. They are not smarter. They are not cleverer. Some of them have ulterior motives. Many of them have. And a lot of it boils down to one old favourite, profit. Now, some weirdos that are part of the WEF want to control humanity. Well, the Nazis tried that in two world wars. And there's lots of rumours about a lot of overhang from that. Uh, the European Union was a basically a Nazi plan devised after the Second World War to take over Europe through the banking system because President Eisenhower stitched Germany up into um, an agreement, a treaty that doesn't expire till 2099. Um, and that is, uh, they're not allowed to have an aggressive army. They can only have a peacekeeping force. It's a treaty. They're a vassal state to the US. And a lot of things that are going on, are, everything that's happened since Black Lives Matter is interconnected, every single event. I don't care what it is, it's all interconnected to disrupt and destabilise because it seems strange to me in America, all the states that had the disruption with Black Lives Matter were um, basically uh, Democrat states and lots of property deals have been done since in these areas that got trashed and a lot of people have made money. I mean, basically, you seem to have four crime families running America. Good God, how can these people even get up in the morning and show their faces? And I'm sorry, some of you may be offended by this, but if any of you in the States are actually thinking Joe Biden won an election, I think you should change your tablets because there's absolutely no way that man won. Absolutely no way he won. He fiddled it. And that's my opinion. And currently, I'm allowed to have it. Sometime in the future, I probably won't. Um, so my worry for the future is, wow, if the leaders of the free world can engineer an election where a dribbling man who can't string a sentence together, who has to hold a cue card up to talk to someone who he's interviewing, if the free world can end up in those hands, what hope is there for the rest of us? Because it seems to me... <clears throat> the only thing I can work out is it's like the Clinton, Obama cabal behind it because no way Joe Bedridden, that's my name for him, is running America. Absolutely no sodding way. So all of a sudden, America's Trump, well, it doesn't matter whether you like him, people sadly still judge him on his comb over in his town. Um, oh, man, yeah, I get that. Um, so he didn't want to go to war with anyone. He had Jews talking to Arabs. He even got North Korea down off the shelf. 
What was your problem with that man? He increased manufacturing in the US. Hello, are you listening to all this? This is a list of stuff and he never even took a wage. Now you've got a crime family who's got a, a coke-snorting son who's been in and out of bed with underage people. That's what it looks like on some places. I could be wrong. Happy to stand corrected. Um, who's had everything bad that he's done covered up. They're dealing with Ukraine where money laundering, organ harvesting, and Christ knows what else is going on. And this is the family that's running America. Wow, you are in a mess. You are in a serious mess. Buddying up to China. And then <clears throat> you've got Russia. This is what kills me, Russia. Oh, be afraid of Russia. Oh, scary, bogeyman, bad man, Russian man, bad. Zelensky, good, bollocks, bollocks, absolute bollocks. Zelensky won his ticket on a peace agreement. He said he'd signed a peace agreement with Russia. That's what Russia expected. <clears throat> and pre uh, what's he called? Robert Kennedy, he um, tells you quite openly in one of his interviews that once Zelensky got in, the neocons nobbled him. We don't know how, but they nobbled him and he changed tack. There should have been a peace agreement, the the, the um, Minsk Accord. It was never signed. And then what they, what they did after the war broke out, they got Boris Johnson like a sodding lapdog to go across and scupper the peace talks for the Minsk Accord too, which was basically going to stop war again. Uh, what I've noticed with warmongering, uh, people like the Biden administration, they'll risk anybody's son but their own. They're always fighting on someone else's soil and it's always their people. It's their nation that will get ripped to shreds. It's their people that are dying on their own soil. It's disgusting what's going on. <clears throat> so we're all told this is a great war, saving democracy and freedom. And it's at, if you can't see through the fact that during a war, this lunatic has never been out of khaki clothing yet never been to a battle. You've got you've got um, Richard Branson turning up for a visit in the middle of a war, dressed in white. You've got Boris Johnson going. You've got celebrities. You've got Vogue magazine going with a full film crew. Hello. That isn't what happens in war. Usually people are too scared to go to a country that's at war. You've got refugees coming here that are paid for by the Department of Work and Pensions, paid to go home when they want to sort things out, like one was going home because she had a bad tenant in her house. So I'm thinking to myself, hang on a minute, if you've got a tenant in your house back in Ukraine, why aren't you in your house? What are you doing over here? You've got a tenant in, you're making money out of it. So obviously the house is standing. This doesn't detract from genuine grief, genuine injury and genuine death that's going on in Ukraine right now. They're using that country. It's a patsy country run by corruption from outside forces. That's my opinion. Again, happy to stand corrected if I'm wrong. Um, so you've got all this going on. And you've got a set of people in the British Parliament, the mother of all parliaments, who were rancid in corruption. It's, it's a, a den of vice as far as I can see it. There are people there, there's an MP whose sister is vaccine injured. She's got uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome. You've got two male MPs that have vaccine injured wives. You've got three that have minor vaccine injuries 
and nobody's saying a word. Shh, don't say anything. Don't complain about it. So you've got a parliament, and this is how people have got to wake up. In in Britain, we have the National Health Service. It's atrocious. It's not fit. To, it's not fit. It's absolutely, you go on about the tiered system in America. Oh, my God, you should see the NHS in Britain. <clears throat> How can the public roll the sleeve up, accept an injection that's brand new on the back of the government are bothered about you, the government really care? How can they do that when during that period the very self-same government took 5,000 beds away in the NHS? There aren't enough ambulances. There aren't enough paramedics. People are sitting in, in a hospital after they've gone because of a, an episode, whatever's gone on, serious episode, sat in soiled pyjamas <clears throat> in corridors waiting to be seen and yet they can find an interpreter to come immediately for someone who needs attention that can't speak English. That's a side issue. <clears throat> the real issue is... Common sense people never lose sight of that. You can't go to university for it, and all you need to do is question question the obvious. Right, if the government cared about us, surely in a growing population, the best they could have done, even for a pandemic, would be to grow our national health, to have more doctors, to have more beds, not take 5,000 away when you've already taken 15,000 away from us in 2017. That doesn't add up to me. That isn't care. That is <clears throat> cost-cutting. Yeah. Following on from that, because um, we've <clears throat> seen, and, and the one MP that is standing up is is Andrew Bridgen. Um, uh, we've had him on here uh, twice, I think, before. But not only on what's happening with COVID, on vaccine harms, but also his latest 10-minute uh, bill is on the WHO pandemic treaty, um, looking at that. And that seems to be a, a follow-on from COVID. Everyone is scared to death, therefore this is now the solution. Um, and it is, again, uh, it is, uh, when you say unbelievable, at one point it would have been unbelievable to think our politicians would hand over power, but they did it with Brussels, with the EU, um, and the WHO, the UN body, I guess, is another step in that process of handing all power over. Well, basically, um, it's it's muted any benefit we could have had from Brexit because they're just taking power away. They're taking sovereignty away from us now through the back door. Uh, they tried it with the EU and we voted to leave. You see, two things happened that should never have happened. Um, Trump won and Brexit won. So I got a lot of stick because I said that Agenda 2030 and Agenda 2021, 2021 being the century, not the year, were nothing to worry about when I was blogging at the time. And people said, oh, you got that wrong, you got that wrong. No, I didn't. No, I didn't get it wrong. Because at that point, we got Trump in and we got Brexit. So those two issues should never, ever have affected us because as a country, we were ring-fenced with our own sovereignty to say, Back away from the vehicle. We don't want this shit in our lives. We're not interested in your depopulation. We're not interested in your smart cities. We're going to get on with being the best we can be. We're British. We've got the greatest global reach of any member state of the EU. People forget that. We ski down those ski slopes. We sit on their beaches. We buy their wine. We drive their cars. We wear their clothes. What do they buy from us? Not very much. We are the best customer, and they have basically treated us appallingly 
Nothing needed to change. No legislation. They could have eased us out of there. We all trade the same. <clears throat> the fact is they didn't want us to. They didn't want Brexit to be made easy because other people would want to leave. And now it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about Brexit. The, the only saving grace we've got with Brexit is that during the tyranny of the last three years, as they forced 40,000 care workers out of their job in an industry, may I say, that's already short-staffed, that has malnutrition in British care homes, malnutrition, and they forced 40,000 people out of their jobs that hadn't done anything wrong other than say, <clears throat> I don't want the vaccine. And then the Together Declaration, Alan Miller's lot, and um, which I'm a kind of ambassador for, which means, I don't know, I speak out for them. Um, and Nurses 100,000 lobbied the government to stop the same happening to the NHS. The government were already shipping people in from abroad that couldn't speak English. Nurses, that, how do we know how they're trained? They're coming in from far-flung places to treat people. If there's a, a geriatric hospital where people are wandering around with useless face masks on, where elderly people who are already confused with Alzheimer's and God knows what else, who also are in there with ailments, uh, I've got foreign nurses who don't even know what a bedpan is. Dear God Almighty, what's happened to this country? So we've got that going on in the background, but we fought back. Now, had we been in the EU, we couldn't have fought back. We'd have had to do what the EU said. And I know this from my uh, neighbour in Austria and in the Alps. Uh, we'd sold our house in 2019, and but still in touch because we were very, very good friends. And they had to get vaccinated. But to be fair, they did have a get out clause. If you could prove you got positive antibodies from having the infection, you didn't need to have the vaccine. So you could go around your business for six months and then you needed another blood test because my neighbour did that. Now, the thing is, <clears throat> that's quite a good option. But it's not such a good option when you think in Europe, after the Second World War, they opted for a system where you had to show your papers to get in a restaurant, to get in a supermarket. They could stop you on the street. When is somebody going to wake up and say that that is really seriously bad news? So, unfortunately... Um, or fortunately, I should say, we're not in the EU, so we could say, no, we're not having it. We don't want this. And we had a pivotal moment. You know, the Chenaman Square where the guy stood there, a little single man in front of the tank. We have that in Britain. No, people didn't notice it, but that's what we had. And we had a doctor, um, a lung and heart specialist, who was Dr. I can't remember his name now, Stephen. I'd seen him in WhatsApp groups, I can't remember his surname. He was live on Sky TV. They couldn't edit it with Sajid Javid, the then health minister at the time, where he said, have you had your vaccine? And he said, no, I don't need it. I've had COVID. And he said it quietly. Stephen James, Dr. Stephen James. Oh, yeah. That was a Chinaman Square moment because they couldn't edit it because the big thing that's happening to us now is that media. The stuff isn't getting out. So you have to come on places like this and you have to go on my channel, you know, Twitter page. And it's not enough because there are millions of people out there who only trust news from the telly. It has to come from the telly. If it hasn't come to in the house from the telly, it's not news. So when that happened, 
whoa, that didn't half put the brakes on and it made Sajid Javid look like the uninformed twit that he is on health issues. He's a banker, for God's sake. We've got a doctor, Liam Fox. Why didn't they make him health minister? He knew that what was going on was wrong. He would have been a much better candidate. Okay. Don't get me going on. Please don't get me going on, Matt Hancock. No, no. Um, no, no, well, not even go Matt Hancock. It's a program series in themselves. Here, can I, there's Parliament absolute collapse, uh, public trust, an all time loan institution, and people no longer give a damn who. And you're right, uh, red and blue is just the same same difference. But I, I'm, not, I'm curious to have your thoughts on the monarchy because I grew up as a monarchist. Um, and our American friends will maybe mock the monarchy, but I always saw us giving stability and um, the Queen being certainly a, a rock in terms of, of faith and that privacy, never seeking the fame. Um, complete change with uh, with King Charles, obviously tight connections with the WF. Um, and I think also read that he's going to give the opening COP28 speech, uh, which is the UN climate change body. Um, can, how do you, uh, again, I think a lot of people have lost faith in that institution with that huge change. Uh, w- what are your thoughts on the role that King Charles now plays? Well, he's not his mother. Um, his mother kept out of everything. And generally speaking, in a democracy, if you've got a constitution um, with a royal family that's the head of the constitution, it's usually a safer place to be, and it has been. Um, that's changed. That stopped when she died because he came to power. You've only got to look what's happened with him. He's, he's a climate junkie anyway, so that all depends. You know, these people are pampered. They've got gout. They've got things wrong with them. They read what they want to read, and they read what Lord Fauntleroy has put in front of them. So it all depends what he chooses to read. So, yeah, he's really um, close with the way the WEF want to do things. And he, he called COVID a window of opportunity to, for a great reset. How? How is the virus that everybody basically recovered from? The death rate, gladly, didn't have enough people in it, and a lot of them were elderly anyway. The average age of people dying from COVID was higher than the, the age you're expected to live anyway. It's 85. How can that be a window of opportunity? For what? We're all locked down. We can't get together. We can't complain. We can't get access to information. So while we're all in that position, let's just bring some tyranny out. What a good idea. No, son off. Um, Prince Charles, for me, is completely untrustworthy. And the monarchy has ended. And all that's happening now, these sad, chinless wonders are trying to keep a 1,300-year-old brand going. We've got Jacinda Ardern, Mr. Ed from bloody New Zealand, who's now the right-hand monkey of uh, Prince William and his, um, I always say money shot, that's porn, isn't it? Disgusting. Um, at the, um, what's it called? Earth shot. Hmm. It's brought her in. She's left. She's now come to work for him as his right hand. Oh, read the writing on the wall, people. Just because he's got a thick wife that looks nice in really expensive clothing doesn't mean these are nice people. These are not nice people. These are not people that you can trust your future with. And that parliament of ours, 650 eunuchs now, once that WHO pandemic treaty is signed, we have 600, well, 649, because Andrew Bridgen's fighting against it. Speak to Andrew quite a lot. Um, 
he's ruined his own life for this. Do you know that? And there's idiots out there saying, oh, he's controlled opposition. Don't talk like a canary. He's not controlled opposition. He's apologised four times now, as I've seen it, for joining in the rollout, recommending it, and recommended that um, the NHS should have it. He's seen the light. He's vaccine injured himself. He's fighting back hard. He's doing his level best. It's ruined his life. His kid's getting bullied. Nobody speaks to him at work. They won't sit with him. They stonewall him. They're horrible. These people are horrible. The power junkies, they're out for themselves. They are not there to represent us. Uh, well, they, they, that's what they're supposed to do, but they're not. They've now got to this stage where the, you know, Brandon Lewis has turned around and thinks it's a good idea for migrants so we can't even prove where they're from. Open up your homes because we're not happy with the hotel bills we've got for it. Are you mental? Have you got some sort of deranged disorder that, oh, yeah, what a good idea. We don't know where they're from. They don't like us. They don't speak English. Let's open our homes up and let them live with us. You, uh, well, tell you what, you fill your homes up first and we'll follow suit. How about that? So this is where these people are absolutely bonkers because once that WHO pandemic treaty is signed, that's it. They control farming. They control agriculture, livestock, the weather. They control whether or not you will be able to see your nan in a nursing home. They will control whether or not you can go to work. You can sit there in Ottle Twistle in Lancashire and someone in Geneva can tell you whether or not you can go to work. Even though you've got a job and even though you're fit and healthy and even though you're not ill, there'll be some reason that they can cause a lockdown. And you'll have to do it because the MPs that we pay £170 million a year for will say, oh, it's not us. No, 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 it's not us. It's the, it's the who. We have to. Anybody in the right mind only needs to look at the planet to see the planet runs differently in different places. There's a Sahara Desert and there's a mountain range called the Himalayas. There's sea and there's land. There's tropical weather and there's warm, balmy weather. There's living in the North Atlantic in a set of windswept islands like the UK that gets plenty of water, and there's drought in other places. How one body of people can decide what the whole world does to approach anything, be it weather or health, is bad news. It's wrong. It won't work. It will cause death and destruction. And we have got 11 MPs we're not allowed to know the identity of that are overseeing this. I, I showed the WHO pandemic treaty to my solicitor who does a lot of my land deals I said, what do you think of this? And he had a, you know, left it a couple of days and he got back to me and went, good God. He said, I didn't even know this was. I said, well, yeah, that's what's happening. He, he was shocked because he's not politically active. And he said, if this was an agreement for you personally, I'd tell you to not sign it, run a mile. So um, we, the wording, people generally, they might buy one or two houses in their life. They never see any legal documentation. That's what they're relying on. I see a lot of stuff. I see a lot of leases. I see a lot of contracts. And I see the wording. And over the years, I've got savvy with it where you think, hang on, that actually doesn't mean that in that sentence. That's legal terms for something quite different. That thing is full of it. That despicable piece of legislation is full of traps so that we've got nowhere to hide. And nobody on this planet has the right to rule the planet because it's all so varied. The, the farmers in um, Holland, 
are having um, compulsory purchase orders of their farms for less than what they're worth so that they can stop growing food. Holland grows most of the food for Africa. And what has always amazed me, we're getting down to the bones of it now. I think they've played their hand too soon. They really have played down too soon with COVID because guess what? Loads of us didn't get vaccinated and we're all still alive. Hard luck. And we're all still here banging on about it. So at the beginning, they've not they've not engineered this right. At the beginning, they had the, the nation on their side. You were granny killers if you were talking like me, etc. Now we're not. Now we know we're not. And the, the old people's home, you see, everybody has skin in the game. It's not just the politicians. It's everybody connected. They all have the reason for the way they react to legislation. The nursing homes, you can't visit. It's easier to run a nursing home without visitors. It's a lot easier to run a nursing home without visitors. Keep them out. They're a bloody nuisance. Wow, that's easy. Oh, it's COVID. It's COVID. You can't come in. It's COVID. Yeah, right. It's a damn sight easy. And, and then what happens... In a lot of UK nursing homes, regular visitors from loved ones bring them food in because some of them, if they've got mental health issues as well as being infirm, they forget to eat and to get their breakfast tray served, a shift changes, a new girl comes on, takes a breakfast tray away, hasn't noticed the old person hasn't eaten it, or a younger person even. So uh, I had a friend who's got a person in a, a care home and she took food every day. Then she couldn't. And her daughter lost weight. Two stone. She's only 20-odd. <clears throat> and they were all given DNRs. Do not resuscitate. Who's got the right to do that? Because some bomb-head politician like Matt Hancock decides that he hasn't got enough insight to think of his own ideas. So I'll I'll copy what Jeremy Hunt said when he was health minister, which is if there's a they do these four pandemics, what to do, right? Don't let the NHS get overrun shut the hospitals down. That was the procedure if they were overrun. He locked them down, the donkey, not because they were overrun. They were only, you get a, a hospital with 10 wards, one ward open. That's not overrun. That's not a virus running rampant. That's bad administration. That, that, that we, we were never overrun. Cardiff Hospital, 94 uh, ICU beds. Never had more than 45 of them open. That's not overrun. That's bad management. Bed blocking, they call it, when they can't send old people back to the care homes because of COVID. So they keep them in hospital longer so they can't put new people in. Bad management, that is not a virus. That is not a natural virus that's running through the country, um, creating a health hazard. The people running the country are the hazard. Bad decision-making. And with the NHS, Nightingale Hospital supposedly open for that demand were never used. Um, there, I just want to finish on one thing that's current. Uh, I mean, we could go through the collapse in the court system, schools sexualizing children, local government, 50-minute cities, that level of control. But I just want to finish just to touch on the armed forces. We've got Armistice Day coming up um, when the nation stops to remember those who have fallen traditionally in the First and Second World War. Um, and we've never had such a tight connection with our military as maybe our friends across the water in the states do um but not i guess it's that public view we now have police and uh guards around the cenotaph and some of the monuments to protect them from being attacked and defaced and and that's something that again 
if you go back years, you would never have thought of protecting those because there was that respect. Um, how has that kind of collapsed, that respect from sections of the public for our armed forces? Because this section of the public don't care about this country. This section of the public only care about what they can get for this country. I think, was it Kennedy who said, don't ask what your country can do for you? What can you do for your country? There's nobody with that ethos or thought process out on the streets of Britain today uh, demonstrating. I'm absolutely floored by what I've seen. And I covered what was going on with Syria at the time because I got quite good with a tech guy who was really good at uh, sourcing fake videos and fake footage. And he found out about the White Helmets staging these atrocious gas attacks in Syria. Nothing of the sort. They were faked. I watched them. I watched them make it. I watched the video of them getting a wind machine like a Hollywood movie set, big bag of cement, and then that blew it in and then they, they added the sound effects. It's going on all the time. It's happening now. And I'm not getting into the debate of the Middle East. I'm not interested in it. What I'm bothered about is what happens in this country. And in this country, you can you can demonstrate you have the right to protest. Fine. You've got that right. But you don't have to do it on the one day of the year. We've become we, – we don't even respect any other holiday. We just about close our shops for Christmas Day. And then, wow, we're open again. We must get those people spending. We have one day, one day a year – that means something to a lot of people. We have cenotaphs in villages and towns. We have that one day a year where we should be able to honour our dead because I, I'm old enough, I'm 65, I'm old enough to have parents who fought in that war, who served in that war, a mother forced to go in a munitions factory as my dad was sent to war at 17. So I know all about it because they talked to me about it because they didn't want to ever see it happen again. And we, I'd got uncles who were injured in the war. Uh, one was in Burma in a prisoner of war camp, came home a neurotic wreck, a skeleton. And all these things happened. Rationing. Do these young people out on the streets with the big full bellies and the big fat faces waving the flags realise that people came home from war and then had another 10 years of rationing food where they didn't even get enough food to eat once they served the country? They've got no idea what we went through. I'm sick of being looked at as though it's all right for us because we're in the West and we've got everything. We work for everything we've got. We have put the effort in. We have paid the taxes. We have suffered the losses to get our country to a good standard. And their countries are still fighting to get what they want. And that does not give you the right to desecrate a day that should be just left untouched. This weekend, Saturday and Sunday, leave it alone. Just give us some breathing space. Do it another day. You're getting plenty of media coverage. I don't know where you're getting your flags from, but they all seem brand new. You're out there. I look at these young faces, a lot of them student types. Well, that's if you can see the face because the men seem to prepare to cover them up. Um, if I felt so strongly about something, I'd have my face showing and my name showing, as I do on my social media. So I am absolutely appalled, as are many other people. And it's not just happening in London, it's happening in Blackburn, Burnley, Accrington, Darwin, Huddersfield, Manchester. All these people have come out from the woodwork. They're, they're not from this country that they're on about. Half of them don't know what's going on properly. And they don't have the right to desecrate this week, weekend and chuck our poppies off. Our, our cenotaph, no flags, no poppies on. 
how it's bad enough on Remembrance Sunday that we have to watch people like Tony Blair and um, what's he called, the other fella that sold us out to Europe after Maggie. Gordon Brown. Gordon Brown as well, yeah, but the other fella. Um, he was uh, having an affair with Edwina Curry. What's he called? Mr. Gray. Oh, John Major. John Major, yeah. Um, it's bad enough watching people like that at the Cenotaph with their fake, sombre attitude and their crombies on. It turns my stomach. The, the, these days of the people that put the effort in, you know, these people are the ones that cause the bloody wars. These are the ones, wars are caused by people in suits and uniforms, but they're fought by people who seldom have them on. They're fought by people told what to do, and they have the audacity to bring these characters out as though they care. They don't care. These these are soulless characters in my view, and, and to have to, all right, we'll stomach that because it's how it is, but we don't have to stomach this lot. We don't have to stomach these angry, entitled, opinionated. And, and you know, do you know what Britain's lack? You know, Britain has a, a, a too much of ingratitude. People come to this country, we print everything we've got in 23 languages so you can understand it and settle in better. We share our school, we share our housing, we share our healthcare, we share everything that we've built up, we share with you. And on this one day, back off, shut up and give us our day. That's what I think, because I am sick of people who have come to this country. This is not racist. I wouldn't go to your country and expect so much. It's ingratitude. We've given everything we've got to give. Everything we've got to give has been handed over on a plate to people who've never paid a penny in, and we're still getting it wrong. We're still told we're not doing enough. Apart from self-flagellation, I don't know what else we can do. You're hundred percent, and and it is that we uh, we've welcomed people in and haven't had that agreement of what it means to come here in that level of respect. Because I guess it was expected, but you can't assume in this day and age. Um, June, love having you on. So good. As I said, love following you online, and great to have you on in person chatting to you. So thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list. Donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofoak.org. Thank you for listening.